next year is going to be in two weeks. So if you don't get an email then, then you know that there's just time of problem. Okay. Shivach. And uh, all, uh, all endings, I suppose, are always melancholy because they mean that we've come to an end. But by the same token, it also means that we've had an accomplishment. Hence, when we finish reading uh, Sefer of the Torah, we always say, Chazak, Chazak, Beniz Chazek. Chazak is strength to the people who think that they learned everything there is to learn in Sefer Bereshis, and Chazak to the people who think they didn't learn anything in Sefer Bereshis, Beniz Chazek, let's get strong and go and do it again. So, Baruch Hashem, We'll, uh, we'll be doing Parshas Vayachi next year. Not us. We'll be doing it in two years. But, uh, but we'll have a chance to look at it again. And, uh, and certainly in this year, you know, when Parsha comes around every two years, when Vayachi comes around, that means that's it. You know, we're moving out of Sefer Bereshis. And, um, and when you're leaving Sefer Bereshis, Sefer Bereshis has within it a certain, uh, you know, a, a certain feeling of all of the beginnings and all of the introductions and, and all the avos and all those sort of things. And then we start moving into uh, Golis Mitzrayim and the Geula and the Midbar and Mitzvos and all the other kind of things that the Torah is so noted for. To the point that Rashi has to ask at the beginning, why do we even start with, uh, with, with Sefer Bereshis and what's it doing there? So, uh, so gosh, who would want to miss out on all these great stories and ideas and stuff? But you know, it's, uh, it means that's done. That part of the Torah for us this year has come to an end. And um, I heard once uh, from Rabbi Shapiro that he explained that a year is considered a complete cycle. Whenever we say a shana, a shana is talking about a complete cycle. It's a, it's a microcosm of, of, of everything is in a year. And hence the word shana is to repeat. It comes back again. And, the, and a year has within it everything. We finish the entire Torah. Pashas HaShavua is there because every year these things uh, relate to us in our life where we are now and how we're supposed to relate to it. So this is Pashas Vayechi of this year and we have to you know, understand it in that context. And as such, uh, needless to say, you know, whenever we sit down to put together one of these parsha shiurim, you know, and when I say we, it's because it's always a group effort. Because if you weren't here, I certainly wouldn't be doing this. So, uh, you know, to, to try to, to get some mahalach, I unfortunately uh, tend to stumble into areas where um, perhaps no man has gone before. Certainly not anyone um, in his right mind. And uh, we've discussed this on other occasions. And in fact, I saw somebody before the shear and said, "Do you have a shear worked out? Or is it going to be one of these weeks where you're going to spend 15 minutes explaining how you don't have a shear?" So, uh, so no, it was too easy this week. I have to tell you the truth. And when I hit Parshas Vayechi, so I, I I realize now I run the danger of becoming predictable. And before I even had the title out, people said, "Oh, you're going to do one of the Shvatim, right? That's what you always do in Vayechi." Now it's not really true. I don't always do it, but we haven't had the shear that long. And uh, four of the Five shiurim on Vayechi were about Shvatim. We did Don, God, Osher. Obviously, we should do Naftali next because he's one of the uh, the, the only remaining of uh, uh, the Bnei Shvachis who are left. But we did a Fry Menashe two years ago. So uh, I decided to venture off into the Bnei Leia, moving into one of the perhaps more major characters of Jewish history, and uh, and of course we're going to speak this evening about Yisachar. Yisachar, or if you like, Yisoscha. Yeah? The Bnei Yisoscha, right? Everyone's familiar with that. There's apparently a silent sin. And, um, and there are those who actually bring down that you're supposed to pronounce it Yisoscha till you hit, I think it's Parshish um, Pinchas. Because uh, we see that when they're going down to Mitzrayim, Yisoscha has a son named Yov. And uh, when he gets down there, uh, we read the names afterwards, he has a son, Yeshov. So he says he gave one of his sins to him. So that's why he becomes Yisachar. He's just 
But uh, certainly, according to most Mepharshim, the way we lean it in Shul is a silent sin. So uh, we're going to talk about Yisacha. And, um, and before I do, maybe I should just uh, give the introduction that I do whenever we start dealing with one of the Shvatim. Meaning, probably, if you're here now, the odds are you're from Shevet Yehuda or Binyamin. Unless you're like me, you're from Shevet Levi. But we usually we know that. You know, because uh, we like to stick to our rights. But uh, assuming that you're you're not, then you're probably from one of the royal houses of the Jewish people, uh, Yehuda and Don, right? Because as you know, the Jewish people split. There was a civil war, and the Jewish people split into the ten northern kingdoms of Ephraim and the two southern kingdoms of Yehuda. Hence, uh, Jews became known as Yehudim, Judeans, Yehudi, Jude. All of these terms came about because of the kingdom of Yehuda, the kingdom of Yisrael, or Ephraim, as it was called, um, or uh, Shomron, however, which name it was used, were taken away into Gullus by Asher, uh, and Asher is, still has them someplace on the other side of the river, Sambation, so uh, if you want to go looking for it. It's an easily identifiable river. It spits up rocks six days a week and not on Shabbos. So um, someone said, where could this possibly be that explorers have not been able to find it and where there could be millions of people hiding on the other side of the river? So I, Clearly it's in Afghanistan because uh, <laughs> the entire U.S. military can't find Osama bin Laden. He's hiding in some cave over there and he keeps making videos and we still can't find him. And... Um, you know, so it wouldn't be hard to hide a river that spits up rocks six days a week and, you know, and millions of people on the other side of it. But that's only my theory. I can't prove that. But um, that left the southern kingdoms, and those are the ones who go into Golis Babel, and those are the ones who come back, and those become the rest of Jewish history. Now, that's not to say, although the odds are you're from Yehuda ben Yamin, because that's the southern kingdom, right? You might be from Shimon. Shimon also, you know, was associated with Yehuda. Um, but uh, at different times in history, uh, during the time of the Civil War, of the, of the split, there were people who ran from the Northern Kingdoms to become refugees in the Southern Kingdom so that they'd be able to go to the base of Mikdash and still be able to um, you know, uh, live their lives as full Jews as opposed to bringing things to the Egil that were in uh, Basel and Don. So, um, so there certainly is among us remnants of all of the Shvatim. And the Gemara, some, you know, the, the Gemara which discusses this particular guy, he must be from Don. This particular guy, he must be from, uh, you know, Osha, etc. That there are attributes of the 12 Shvatim that remain among us. And that's essential because all of the 12 Shvatim correspond to the 12 months of a year, as I mentioned. A year is a totality. And every Shevet corresponds to one of those months. They correspond to 12 parts of the body, major parts of the body. So when we talk about the 12 Shvatim, it's not a question of this Shevet yes, this Shevet no, this, this is one of the major Shvatim. Okay, it's true. Yehuda and Yosef, which uh, uh, correspond to the head and to the heart, are probably more important. But uh, arms and legs come in handy too. You know what I mean? So the kidneys and certain other internal organs that you like to keep around. So um, although you may not look at it as, as essential, needless to say, it is certainly necessary if you want to be shalem, if you want to have the real tzuris ha'adam. So every shevet has within it something that all of us need to incorporate inside of us. There's a midah, there's an aspect, there's a power that the 12 shvatim represented that we have to integrate into ourselves. We spoke about this with the Avos, that Avraham was chesed and Yitzchak was gvura. And that should be enough, but it's not, because each one is an extreme, left and right, and you need the center to create the balance between the two, and that's Yaakov. Tiferes has to be that balance between the two, because either one on and of itself can result in a Yishmael or an Esau. It's not enough. You have to create that balance. And so too, because there was no midah of chesed in the world, Avram had to dedicate his entire life to bringing chesed, even though he knew that wasn't complete, even though he knew that that's not enough to make Klai Yisrael. But you have to bring this midah in in its fullness. 
So to Yitzchak. And so they understood that we dedicated our lives to it. So Osher dedicated his life, and Don dedicated his life, and Yehuda dedicated his life, and every one of the Shvatim dedicated their lives to create whatever this essential aspect of Klai Yisrael was, and we as Klai Yisrael have to incorporate all of those 12 aspects into us if we're going to be Shalit. It's not enough to have one aspect. The Shvatim could specialize. We can't specialize to that degree. We have to, in order to be total people, we have to take all of these ideas in. So you look at a shevet, so one of the, you have to understand where that shevet is coming from. Right? Okay. So we're going to take a look at Yisachar, and Yisachar actually gets more press, certainly than Asha, and some of the other shvat we've mentioned, because those of us who have learned in Yeshiva, we all know that Yisachar represents Torah, and therefore we use Yisachar as the model for the Talmud Chacham, for the one who's going to become the Rosh Sanhedrin, for the one who's going to be Marbitz Torah and Klai Yisrael. I'm reading from Perak Memtes, Pasuk Yudalad, Yisachar Chamor Gorem. Explains the Mizrahi, Gorem is a word for etzem, bones. I'll tell you the truth, I'm not sure exactly why that is, I don't know the the uh, uh, the relationship between it, but therefore Rashi says that he is a chamor baal atzamos. The word baal should really be there. It's as if you said Yisachar chamor baal gorin. He is uh, bones. He you see his bones, right? Most. Most animals, you don't see their bones. The bones are covered up by the flesh. What you see is the flesh. Him, you see the bones. He's a bony, strong-boned donkey. Sovel old Torah. He is strong to carry the burden of Torah. Like a strong donkey that you can load a lot of um, burdens on top of him. Yisachar is a strong-boned donkey. Rovates bein ha-mishpasayim. Yeah? Uh, says the Targum Unkelis, v'achasante bein techumaya, between the techumim, between the borders. Says Rashi, k'chamoa ha-mahalech b'yom u-balayla v'ein lo lina babayis. He travels day and night. And he has no place to rest. That's why he's out on the borders. He's out in between the fields. He doesn't have a place. When he wants to rest, he's in between cities, somewhere there out on the road. He sits down. Because he's bringing his, um, his wares, his uh, burdens, Around, and that's what he's doing. So wherever he happens to be, he sits down and rests. And this, of course, is you know the Musa Shmuzin that you hear so much about uh, how little time they spend um, resting. You know, where did where did he sits, just spoke spoke to a guy uh, Thursday who was telling me. You know, he says uh, he says uh, he says I've I've mastered the Stender nap. You know what I mean? Put my head down on the shtenda and I can go to sleep on the shtenda. You know? So I said, why don't you, you know, it's Beta's Darim, why don't you go back to your room? I said, what do you mean? It's, it's down the street, four flights up, and there's no elevator, you know what I mean? So instead I find a nice, comfortable shtenda. To me, that's an oxymoron, a comfortable shtenda, you know what I mean? And I put, <laughs> I came out with these orthopedic shtendas now, and you know, bend this way and that way, you know, all kinds of fancy things, you know what I mean? But a shtenda at the end of the day is a shtenda, you know what I mean? Let's, we will never confuse it for a bed. And, uh, you know, and you put your head down and that's it, you're out, you know? I, I'm, I'm uh, you know, you, you slowly, when you, when you travel as often as I do, you learn how to sleep on planes, although I was never able to sleep on a plane, but, uh, you know, the truth is I'm reaching a certain age where I can sleep almost anywhere. Given enough time and, and uh, motivation, but um, you know, but Talmud puts his head down and that's it. You know, he sleeps. I've had rebellion, you know, who I had a shiva in the middle of Shia, He would just nod off, and he would sleep for like two minutes and open his eyes and just continue in mid sentence. It's absolutely amazing, you know. 
I remember it's, uh, this week is the Yorzeit of Chaim Kreisworth, that's how. And uh, I saw once a number of, uh, I was in the base magician, a number of Gedoli Torah came to see him. And as he's talking to them, he, he drifts off. He goes to sleep, and they wait for him for five minutes, he opens his eyes, you know. So, uh, Tursky, who was Mashari, said, you know, I said, uh, wow, you know, he, uh, you know, that's, it's not so nice to fall asleep in the middle of talking to somebody. He said, what do you mean? You know, when do you think he sleeps? You know, he says, I'm with him, and I'm much younger than him, and I'm in much better health, and he runs me ragged from early in the morning to late at night. You know, we told the story over, you know. Rev. Leib Steinman, when he was a young man in his mid-80s, they were, they were, you know, <laughs> developing him. They were grooming him, that was what, grooming him to take over for a shock. You know what I mean? He was a youngster in his 80s, you know what I mean? Nobody think this guy might have potential. <laughs> like, you know, we'll see how he does when he hits 100. But right now, you know, it's at least now that uh, he's, we'll, we'll see if we can get him ready for the position, you know. It says, and here, here he is pushing himself mamish night and day. Right? People who are learning Torah, they rest wherever they happen to be. You put your head down and uh, you pick up your, your head and you keep going. You know, so, you know? Have to have to, you know, uh, get. Uh, remember, I was I was in share once with the Tzvi and and he was yelling at us for a change. It was uh, the Tzvi Krishalevsky, and um, and he was he was he was unhappy with us that we didn't know Pshat, and um, and and he finally says, "What time did you go to sleep last night?" You know, so someone says, uh, "You know, ten o'clock." I said, "Twelve o'clock, one o'clock." You know, he says, well, "How do you expect to learn?" You know. He says, uh, you know, he says when, uh, you know, he says you want to, you want to be a tongue chacham and get eight hours of sleep, you know, push yourself. You go. You say, you know, okay. <laughs> and then somebody said, only eight hours. <laughs> that was a little depressing. But um, you know, I remember Rebel Yoshev, and again, I'm going back a few years. I don't know if I told this story, but um, he, uh, somebody wanted him to be sandik at a bris, but he says I got him besikin. He says, I'm sorry, I can't make it. So he says, oh, it's too early for you? <laughs> so he says, no, I sleep from 10 to 2, and then I get up at 2, and I learn from 2 to 6. It's the only quiet time I have in my day. And uh, that time, I, you know, I go to 6 o'clock minion, and I, you know, I, can't, uh, I can't break that time. That's my only say the time that I have for myself. Otherwise, I'm giving shirim, I'm answering questions, I'm busy a whole day. You know? So I need a little time I can learn for myself from 2 to 6. Nice, quiet time. Not in my house, but uh, <laughs> some places. But... Uh, you know, so you can't you can't rest and do that. Yakim Kamenetsky went down to Florida, and um, he was gonna the the, the Satmar Rebbe Rabbi Yoel, He says, "Listen, I have an apartment there. Why don't you use it?" You know, so he goes down and, and he goes to the apartment and he and he says, "Oh, you know, uh, very nice. Uh, uh, the way you set up the room, you know." He says to the to the cleaning lady, "Oh, it's so nice. Everything's so clean." He goes, I, "I haven't touched that bed. I don't know I don't know where that rabbi sleeps, but he doesn't sleep here." You know, the ways he sleeps. You know. So he went to give a shir and tells. You know, so he walks in and he says, uh, "Where are you holding?" He says, "Well, you can speak about where are you holding." What taste is up to? This one. He gets up and he gives like a two-hour shir. You know, and mom is holding. So afterwards, someone comes to him and says, "How is that possible?" And he looks at the guy and says, "What time did you go to sleep last night?" You know what I'm saying? He says, "Spend your time sleeping. How are you gonna?" Yeah. So he sleeps in the road. Yeah. And he sees rest that it's good. Rashi, Ra, Lachelkai, Eres Bevereches, Vatoiva, Lahotzi, Peros. It's a beautiful land. There's a Aretz, Kina, and the land is pleasant. Vayet, Shechma, Lisbol, and he turns his shoulder to the to the burden. Vayila, Mas, Oved. And he's like a, like a slave who's, who's working for the government. Yeah? And he works. This is the old Torah. So this is the this is the Yisachar that we have all been experienced, uh, introduced to during our various years. And uh, I understand why we're comparing him to a Hamar who's strong and sleeps in the street and has a strong burden. But I'm bothered here philosophically because the the word Hamar is always related. <coughs> to the word chomer, meaning, right, getting slightly metaphysical, but the Ramban brings this down all the time, so it's not really, you know, we're not going that too far afield. 
you know. I got this, uh, somebody got me this nifty, you know, um, you know, Ramban for dummies, you know, with a little running parish on it, you know. And every now and then when you get to the good parts, it says, this is Kabbalah. And it just skips it. You know, I know it's Kabbalah. That's why I thought we were buying this book. You know what I mean? I don't need you to tell me a push-up shot. I want to hear the good parts. In any event, so uh, my friend Ray Margolin is in the process now of writing a parish on Ramban. So uh, I assume he'll put in all the good parts. We'll go back and read those. But um, the, uh, the Ramban speaks all the time about Chol Surah. There's what's called raw material, and then there's the surah that the raw material takes on a form. Chomer wants to take on a form. Yeah? Water, which is usually the classic example of something that is Chomer, has no tsura, has no form. Pour it into a tall cup, and the water will be tall. Pour it into a shallow bowl, and it will be shallow. Right? Water doesn't have any, so to speak, tsura of its own. Right? As opposed to the classic example of tsura is light. Light is completely tsura. You, you can't really, you know, catch a sunbeam and hold it in a jar. You know? Oh, it's just some song cue over there I'm messing up. But anyway, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, light, light is total tsura. It, it's, it's, it's form, but it doesn't have any substance. You can't hold light. You can't grasp it, you know? So, so there's a concept of chomer and the concept of tzura. There's something that's called raw material. And there's something that's called tzura that gives it form. A chamar is always seen as the source, as, 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 the, as the symbol for chomrios, for physicality, for raw material, for unfinished product. So that's why Moshe Rabbeinu is, is presented as riding on a chamar. There is the Chamar, and Moshe Rabbeinu is on top, the Tzuras Adam, who controls it. He takes the Chamar and gives it substance. As opposed to, let's say, Bilam, who was innately interacting with the Chamriyos, to the point that one could even call it his mate. You understand? That's how close they were. They were working together there. You know? He was Chamriyos. Yeah? The the mitzrim are compared to susim and chamarim. They're complete chamrias. There's no tsura there. They're all raw material. It's all potential waiting to take on a form. When something takes on a form, then it's, it's, you're taking the material and you're doing something with it. Until that point, you know, there was one sukkis. My mother usually comes to visit sukkis and I, and I always racks our brain trying to find someplace interesting to take her that she hasn't already been to. You know, she came to Israel the first time in 19, January 1968, six months after the, the Six-Day War, and she's been coming on a regular basis since. So you try to find some new place to take her that she hasn't already been. You know, it's really... So we took it to Susia, um, which was fun because you got to drive through these Arab areas and, you know, and, and, and you know, be threatened and stuff, which was something that she hadn't done for years. So, um, I mean, she gets that experience every now and then because she lives in, you know, her, you know, they used to have a store in downtown Brooklyn. So, uh, go up Atlantic Avenue, it's all Arab now. So, anyway, so she's, um, we go to Susia, and in Susia they have different people from, you know, Mishnaic times who are walking around and working there and doing stuff. And one was a potter. And he was sitting at his potter's wheel, and he says, you know, we just had Yom Kippur, you know, the, the, the clay in the hands of the, of the former. And he sits down and he makes out of this clay this beautiful jug. And it's beautiful. He sets the whole thing up. He says, this is beautiful, right? And he smushes it back into a, a little ball. And he says, that's what we mean. And until it's been made into a finished clay, it's, you know, the term we use in the Mishnah for an unfinished kli is a goylem. You know? It's something that's it's not finished. It's not there. It hasn't been made real yet. And, you, and, and you're looking at it, it just melts back and turns back and, and you can do whatever you want with it. You know? It's just stuff. Big mild of stuff that you can form into anything you want and squish it back together. You know? So, um, 
So the, why is Yisachar, who represents Torah, the Chamor? I would see if we have him riding on the Chamor. But he's not riding on the Chamor. He is the Chamor. Which to me seems kind of strange. That that's where he should be coming from. Whenever we want to try to understand the Shvatim, obviously they pop up in more than one place, if you're lucky. And the Baal Turim luckily sets up a little hyperlink for us over here, and he says, Yusacha Chamor Gorem, Koriba Chamor Gorem, why? Kolol Shal Chamor Goram, Shishoma Leia Kol Tsaakas HaChamor, Vyotso Likreis Yaakov, Vehevyosoy Leohala Gorem Leisacha. Because He's reading this, Yisachar Chamor Gorem. Here Gorem is like Gorem. The Chamor caused him. Why? Because Leah heard Yaakov's donkey and went out to greet him, and from that night came Yisachar. So we obviously have to turn back to Parshas Vayetze to read a somewhat strange story. Again, and voracious when you use the term somewhat strange, you know, you, you, it could mean a lot of different things. But, uh, but this story, here's, uh, it's in Perak Lamed Pasig Yudalit. Vayelech Reuben remake Ksir Chitim. Reuben goes out in the time of the Ksir Chitim. Vayimsa Dudayim Basadeh. And he finds Dudayim in the field. Um, Rashi says jasmine. Others explain that it's mandrakes. Whatever it is, it's some sort of a natural herb that has the ability to help you have children. And, uh, and Leah wants more children. She has four. When she had Yehuda, she says, Hapam. I'm giving thanks because I got more than my share. There's four wives. I knew there were going to be four wives, and each was supposed to have three kids, and I got four of them. So I already got more than my share. She still wants more. And so she lowers herself to take her shifcha and give her as a wife to Yaakov. This is always seen as the ultimate being mashbil somebody, to, to disgrace them, to take, you know, to... to to make a shidduch with your own husband, with the cleaning lady, you know what I mean? It's like seen as really, you know, and it's, but that's not always, because cleaning ladies are already on a higher level. We're talking about marriage, your slave. She says, here, go marry my slave, you know? And she does this because she still wants children. And, and, um, and she gets two children, um, God and Asha. And she still she wants to have more children. And this she did this in the schus that she might still have more children. So he brings it to his mother Leah, so that Leah would be able to have more children. Please give me from your sons Dudai. It's not bad enough that you took my husband. You're also going to take my son's flowers. We talked about this last year. Um, if anybody remembers, we had a whole year where we talked about Rachel and Leah, but we discussed this. I will trade you. Tonight I'm supposed to be with Yaakov, and I will give you my night with Yaakov in return for the flowers. And she accepts. And Yaakov comes to the field in the evening. And Leah goes out to greet him. You come to me tonight. I hired you for the night with my son's flowers. Oh, that's so uncool. <laughs> and 
and Hashem hears Leah. But Leah didn't say anything. As all the Mepharshi Rashi point out, there were no tefillah here for him, to, for him to hear. So he says, that she so wanted to have shvatim. She didn't even daven Hashem heard the desire. He didn't hear the tefillah, he heard the desire. He has a fifth child. And Leah says, Hashem gave me my payment, obviously for my flowers, but that's not what she says. Because I gave my shivcha to my husband. So she calls him Yisacha. Wait a second. You just said, I hired you. Now you name the kid Yisacha because I gave my shivcha to you? Come on. So some people say that's why there are two sins. There's the silent one, which is for the reason of the Dudayim. That we don't want to mention. That's not so nice. But the other one is I hired you in the schus that I gave my shivcha to you as a, as a wife. Now, obviously, this has to be a relationship between the two. We're not just going to play a game here. But what a way for Yisachar to be born. Could you imagine if you're from Shevet Yisachar and you come to this section? You know? So uh, you're from Shevet Yisachar. What does that mean? Now, it's always, you know, tricky when you have names. You know? Um, when my children were little. So my daughter, Lisa, said, what does my name mean? I said, your name means happy. And Yaakov says, what does my name mean? I said, your name means beautiful. And Yaakov says, what does my name mean? He who grasps the heel. <laughs> and it's downhill from there. <laughs> Esther, God will hide his face from you. Rivka's a cow, Rachel's a sheep, you know. I have, a, I have a daughter, Batsheva, and, um, and I always, I did it because it was my seventh girl, you know, and then I looked at the first one, and it's really Bas Soiva, which means like she was very full. So I don't tell anybody that shot, but anyway, <laughs> Miriam means bitterness. Miriam was named Bitterness because she was born at the time when the real bitterness of the Gullus began. And that's why Miriam's name comes from. So, yep. So I'm going to stick with like Eliza and Yaffa because those are happy and beautiful names. <laughs> and then there's the heel. But so now you're from Shevet Yisacha and he says, what, what does your name mean? You know, my mom hired my dad. <laughs> Thank you, Yisacha. Please sit down. <laughs> like third grade, you know what I mean? Hey, what's your name mean? My father had my... Okay. Thank you, Yisacha. That'll be quite enough. <laughs> Thanks for coming. <laughs> yep, always a problem. Always a problem. So what a strange way that the Shevet HaTorah should come about through this way, right? Why, why do the flowers... <coughs> that are paid to Rachel to get Yaakov in that schus Yisacha, who is the shevet of Torah, is born. And let's take it one step further, because as much as I'm upset about the fact that Yisacha is called a chamor, which is chamrius, this gets me even um, a, a little more nervous. And that's because of a Rashi in Vayishlach, which... Uh, Nobody, you know, those of us in girls' education, you know, sometimes it gets a little uncomfortable to have to learn. Yeah? Perak Lamadalit Pasik Aleph. But Tate say Dina Baslea, Ashayobil Yaakov, Liras Babnoisa Aretz. And Dina went out. Yeah? But Tate say Dina Baslea, Velo Bas Yaakov. El Al Shem Yitzi Oso Nikrus Baslea. Because she went out, she's called the daughter of Leah, Shahaf, he Yitzonis. She's Yitzonis, Hayasah. She never have a Tate Leah So it sounds like Leah going out 
right, is not a positive thing. Right? It's, it's seen as a sign of, of chutzpah. It's seen as a sign of, of um, a lack of proper behavior. And that's how Yisachar is born. So there are obviously some essential aspects to becoming the Shevet of Torah that involves us um, going out and doing things that are not 100% Right. Well, that sounds bad. Let's try it differently. Um, that requires us to have to, you know, to go out and be a lot more proactive than we otherwise would be, and also have this certain aspect of chamrus. So let's start with an alshech. And I was in I saw this in Mayim Loes, and it brings it down from the tzedel Lederech, and the tzedel Lederech brings it down from the alshech. And I don't know why the footnote over there brings it from the tzedel Lederech and not from the alshech. And uh, I had seen it already in the Alshech. So uh, um, the, the Alshech says, brings a Medrash. It says, Tzirachitim is always referring to Shavuos. Right? Whenever it says Tzirachitim, that's when we cut the Chitim for the first of the wheat harvest. That we bring the Shtei Lechem, the two loaves of bread, the only public offering that is chametz. You are not allowed to have any chametz in your in the base of Mikdash. It was Pesadik the whole year, you know. And uh, the only thing were these two loaves of bread that were on Shavuos. Interestingly enough, it says Chol Dvash. You can't have any Dvash either. And Dvash, the only time it makes an appearance, the Torah tells us is on Shavuos. And that's the Dvash of Tamarim and Te'enim, which you bring in the Bikurim. So the only time you have Dvash is on Shavuos with the Bikurim, and the only time you have Chametz is with the Shei Lechem, and that's the first of the Chita that is brought. Which means that that night was the Leil Shavuos. Leil Shavuos. He says, in fact, that Ksir Chitim and Leo Shvuis is the same in Gematria Mispakotten. Right? If you know Mispakotten, that's where you knock off all the zeros. Right? Bill Grain says that everything related to Shabbos equals seven to Mispakotten. Right? Nair. So Nun is 50 and Rash is 200, but if you knock off the zeros, it's five and two. Equals seven. Dag, that's an easy one. Yeah, seven. Basar. Right? Bayes is two. Shin, if you knock off the zeros, is three. Reish, if you knock off the zeros, is two. Seven. You know? So everything related to Shabbos is, uh, is seven misbakotten. So one of the ways of doing it is <coughs> knocking, is, is misbakotten. The logic behind it we spoke about already uh, in the past, and that is that when you take a number and you add a zero to it, you're just taking that same number to a higher level. Hence, 110, 100, and 1,000 are all the same number. They're all the idea of one, and uh, they're just taken to a higher level. Yeah, um, so uh, they all represent oneness. You know, um, same thing we mentioned. The Maharal points out the word bareich, which is bracha, which is to increase. It's made up the, of the letters beis reish kaf, which equals two twenty and two hundred. It's the same idea of increase, just taken to a higher level, <coughs> two twenty and two hundred. So Mispakatan uh, is one way. So he says Ksir Chitim and Leil Shvuas is the same in Mispakatan. So this is the night of Shvuas. And he, so to speak, she, so to speak, gives something in order to be able to get her husband to be with her. And this is considered a tefillah. Yeah? Vayishma Elohim as Leil. He heard her, but she didn't say anything. Because she wanted to make Shvatim so much. The Shevet she got as a consequence is Yisachar. Why? Take and Shvuas. We stay up all night and we learn. Well, not really. Let's be honest. You know what I mean? We stay up all night, drink coffee, and eat watermelon. But, uh, in fact, um, I mentioned this years ago that they that I read this article where 
uh, in the, I forgot which journal it was in, but the fellow wants to suggest that the minig of Tigan Shavuos began at the same time as coffee became available throughout the world. So when coffee began to spread, people said, what the heck, let's stay up all night. You know what I mean? Pull an all-nighter, you know? Um, so uh, I, I, I don't know if that's really correct, but I certainly maintain that's the reason that people have the minig to eat milkies because, uh, you know, that way you can put milk in your coffee. But um, the Shavuos uh, uh, night, we stay up all night and learn. Well, we're supposed to stay up all night and learn. Now, there are certain people who are um, practical. Practical, and I would go so far as to say intelligent, and say, look, why should I stay up 2, 3 o'clock in the morning? I'm struggling to try to understand what's going on here. I'm not following too well. You know, you go in and have one of the, you know, often least inspirational davenings of your life. And I should point this out. There have been times that I fall asleep in davening. It's happened. You know, Shabbos morning, you know, sometimes you, know, you, you fall asleep in davening, you know. Shabbos morning, I never fell asleep, ever. But there were times that I blinked and the entire tzibah was someplace else. <laughs> I, I, just wanted, I closed my eyes and they're saying Akdamas. You know what I mean? I was like, whoa, how did that happen? You know what I mean? I closed my eyes again, they're in the Haftorah, you know? And I was like... You know, where are we now? <laughs> now, it was just an absolutely metaphysical experience, but uh, I guess Torah has this ability to move you beyond time and space. I don't know, but, you know, you know, I just closed my eyes for a second and boom, we were done, you know. But um, so people say, listen, now it's, it, it could be a lot better because you could, you, could, you could go and dive in at the Kaisel this morning, which my friend Rabbi Granovsky uh, always explains is the most inspirational walk and the worst davening you'll ever have. Because <laughs> you know? you're walking through the streets and as you walk it's middle of the night you see more and more people and there's crowds and there's thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people and you all go in there and you start to daven and slowly the sun comes up and then it continues to come up. <laughs> then it begins to beat down on you and suddenly you realize I don't know which minion I'm in. <laughs> and you're, you're turning from place to place and you're doing like three different things at the same time and you, you don't know exactly how this is supposed to be working, you know, and then you have to walk home. And that is one of the least inspirational walks that you'll ever have because you see people just lying by the side of the road just <laughs> passed out from heat prostration. <laughs> passed out. So, um, you know, but I don't have to go that way to have an uninspirational diving. I can do it right in my own shul. You know what I mean? Why? Because I stand up all night and I'm exhausted. I, it's impossible for me to concentrate, you know? So, um, you know, uh, Mr. Meisel usually uh, has shiurim on, on Shuris night. And, you know, there was, um, there was one time I was speaking there, and I, I don't remember what I was talking about. <laughs> but I remember I said it, and I said, it's, it's the way we look at it is like a, a prism of clarity. And I look around the room, and everyone's nodding. And I said, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. Why are you nodding? I said, you're as crazy as I am. You know, I'm sitting in the middle of the night saying stupid things like prism of clarity and you're nodding along with me, you know? So uh, from that point onwards, uh, Son Harry, whenever he introduces me, he always says, Rabbi is here this evening to speak about the prism of clarity. So, uh, you know, but you're in the middle of the night. So there are those people who are pragmatic and what do they do? They have their they're sure Suda and they, maybe they'll learn a little bit and they go to sleep and they get up in the morning and they go to a regular Yant of Davening and they learn during the day and on a logical level that makes a lot more sense. I can't argue. You do a lot more learning better after a night's sleep than you would otherwise. <clears throat> so what's the reason for Tikkun Lashavuos? It's completely different. The only thing we accomplish and I can tell you that the learning on Shavuos night is seldom the best. There was one year I was teaching in a yeshiva, and um, and the guys were not real good morning people, you know. So I'd give my share in the morning, and not everybody was there. The morning was not their high time. And on Shavuos morning, I gave a share at one o'clock in the morning. Everybody was there. They were alert. They were awake. I realized this is the problem. I should be giving share in the middle of the night every night. You know what I mean? So, you know, I guess teenagers, so their clocks are a little twisted anyway. You know what I mean? You might as well take advantage. But uh, for those of us who passed that stage. You know what I mean? And uh, we've developed sleep into a uh, you know, much more refined art form. So um, when we go to sleep, we'll learn a lot better. You're not going to learn that well in the middle of the night. Because, you know, or, or to take it a step further, right? Your, your mother always tells you before a test, get a good night's sleep. Or you have an important class tomorrow, get a good night's sleep so you can pay attention, right? You're going to be standing at Har Sinai. HaKadosh Baruch is going to be speaking to you. Anochi Hashem Lekech 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 Hashem
Everybody dropped dead. The Nishamas flew out of them. Moshe says, wow, this looks bad. Hashem says, no, don't worry about it. Brings everybody back. Ready for another one? Yeah. yeah. You'll have no other guy back. Boom! Everybody dies again. Moshe says, you sure it's not a problem? I do this all the time. Yeah, brings them back. <laughs> now, let me ask you a question. How much sleep do you need to prepare for that? <laughs> you can nap in between commandments. It's not a problem. You know, you hit the ground, you know? <laughs> There's no way that good study habits are going to help you prepare for Torah. You know, um, there's, a, there's a presentation a person gives on that famous b'risa in Pirkeiavos of the memches dvarim shatoraniknus behen, as if these are just good study <coughs> habits. You know, if you do this, this is a good way for you to learn. And it's not just Torah. It's for anything. Nonsense. You don't need simcha to be able to learn biology. I learned biology. Simcha didn't help at all. You understand? But anything it would work bad. Tahara. You need Tahara to learn English literature? Trust me, you don't. It's also going to not help in the handy. You know what I mean? You know? I need Kedusha. I need Kedusha to be able to learn sociology? Of course not. You know? I need th- these things are going to help me to be able to learn better and grow better. Nonsense. It has nothing to do with that. These are metaphysical things. The only thing I can do to get myself ready for Kabbalah's Torah is to fill myself with that tremendous sense of desire to develop myself. You know we were staying up all night on Shavuos because a little kid who's waiting for something really exciting doesn't go to sleep. Uh, he's not that kechashbin. He doesn't say, oh yeah, you're right. This is, you know, something. He's sitting hopping up and down. Oh, it was such a sad moment. It was such a sad moment. It, it, Erev Pesach. Like all parents, I tell my kids, if you want to stay up for the Seder, you better take a nap. And the kids, you know, they'll put on their pajamas and their nightgowns and they'll get into bed wide awake. And they keep coming out of the room saying, can we get up now? He says, no, you're, gonna stay, you're not going to stay up. You're not going to stay up, you know? And one year, one of my little kids, right at the beginning of the Seder, fell asleep because she didn't take a nap. And we tried waking up and couldn't get her up. And the whole Seder finally finished, like I say, he usually does about 2, 2.30, you know, 3. And, um, and we're putting away everything. And then I pick her up to carry her to bed. And she wakes up and she says, is it time for the Seder? And I said, no, it's over. She said, I missed the whole thing. Now, logically, it would have made more sense for her to go to sleep. But who wants to go to sleep? It's so exciting. Erev Pesach is so exciting. They're making the charosis, they're making the mara, and we're sitting on the tables with the special Pesach kalim. You know what I mean? And you spend the whole day looking for something to eat. <laughs> Tuna fish and, uh, and, and, and cucumbers. And it's like, you know, I want a sandwich. You know, there's nothing. You can't have bread, you can't have matzah, you can't have this, you can't have nothing. Nothing. The whole day you're looking for stuff to eat. You know, when you start picking at the horseradish, you know it's bad. You know. <laughs> A side note. This has nothing to do with the shear, but I just have to share this. When I went to um, when I went to when I went to day school, so uh, you know they said you know for Murray you have to use romaine lettuce. You know. So I said, my father uses horseradish. He says, no, you can't use horseradish because you can't eat a shear of it. I said, no, my father takes a piece of horseradish and he eats it. He says, it's impossible. Nobody can do that. So I came home and I said to my father, we have to use romaine lettuce. He says, what? That's not Mario, it's horseradish. I said, no, you can't eat horseradish. He says, watch, and here's your piece of horseradish. I said, no, they, they told me in school you can't do that. <laughs> so I remember I told the story over once and someone said, my grandfather, as he used to grate the horseradish, would like eat it like a snack food. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they, they made them tougher in Poland. But, um, <laughs> you know, horseradish, the perfect snack food. <laughs> Oh, gosh. In any event, so um, if you're excited, how do you go to sleep? And Kodesh Baruch said, tomorrow morning, I will reveal myself to you. I will speak to you. You'll be raised on this level of Nevoah. You're going to become the Amsagula. You're going to have this experience that's going to take you out of this world. Wow, sounds great. Let me take a nap now so I'm really alert. <laughs> Who's can go to sleep? You're so filled with enthusiasm. This was Shavuos night. And Leah was so excited to be able to make the Shvatim. You know which Shavit you get for that? You get Yisach. You get the Shavit of Torah. Because that's what you're supposed to get. You know, you can't have Chometz and you can't have Dvash. It doesn't belong in the Vodas Hashem. It doesn't belong there. Chometz represents Gaiva. Dvash represents Taiva. It doesn't belong in Rosh Hashem. Except on Shruz. Then you can have it. Yeah, Shruz you can have it. 
Right? There's a machlekes in the Gemara. Right? Is there a mitzvah to eat and drink on Shavuos? Right? We all paskim, chatsi lachem, chatsi lachem. That's the, the approach that we take. But then another man says, no. There's no mitzvah. You don't have to eat and drink on, on Pesach, on, on Yontif. You don't have to eat and drink on, uh, you know, on Sukkot. Except, except on Shavuos. On Shavuos, everyone holds as a mitzvah to eat and drink because on Shavuos, the Torah was given. Therefore, therefore, it was the day that the Torah was given. There is no chamrius. Everything that is physical is spiritual. Or as the Mesil Shasharm and Perak Chavav tells us, when you reach this level called Kedusha, when you reach this highest level, then everything that is physical becomes spiritual. There is no such thing. Even the chamor is not a chamor. Even the chamor becomes something that's kadosh. Everything becomes kadosh when you reach that level of Torah. And this is Shavuos night. And she wants to be able to reach this level. And she becomes a yitzhanist. And she hires her husband and she goes out and gets it. To be able to get Torah. It's an absolutely amazing story. I heard it from a fellow himself. <coughs> so Moshe Phil gives a public shear on, uh, on Thursday nights. It's open to everybody. And this fellow was going. But for whatever reason, he couldn't go anymore on Thursday nights. So he wanted to go to one of the other shurim. And then, you know, I, I go on the one on Tuesday afternoon and he asked me for a ride. And, um, and I said, oh, it's, I'm surprised. They don't usually let Bachram come. You know, it's usually exceptional, you know. So he says, yeah, I get special permission from Moshe. I said, really? No, how come? I said, I asked him if I could come, and he said, no. I said, so what'd you do? I said, well, I have a special schooler to become a Talmud Chacham. So Moshe says, yeah, what's your special schooler? He says, it says, ain't a Baishan Lome, Pekio. Person who's a Baishan, person who's embarrassed, person who's shameful, who, who, who gets, you know, afraid, never going to learn, obviously. Because if you're afraid to ask what Pshad is, you're afraid to ask the question, ask it, forget it. You know? He says, I, but it says, one of the three attributes that a Jew is known for is that Baishanim. Baishanim, Rachmanim, Gomri Chasodim. Jews are nationally Baishanim. So, the problem with the entire. So, luckily for me, he said, my father didn't convert until after I was born. So, I really have less Judaism in me. So, therefore, I'll have less Busha. It'll be easier for me to learn. <laughs> and Ramesha says to him in English, you're okay. <laughs> and he let him come to the Shia. He tells me over this story. I thought it was absolutely amazing. But you know what it says? We know it says in the Pusik. Hashem, we, we've, we've talked about this Gemara beforehand where, you know, where the Umas Olam thought the world was being destroyed and there was a Mabel coming. Right? And, uh, and Bilam calms them down and says, no, Hashem owes the Amogitim. Hashem is giving the Torah to the Jewish people. What's he giving them? Oz. Oz is from the lotion of Az. Like Az is Ponim. Right? So you take a look in, in, in Perkei Avos. Yehuda ben Tema says. Right? You know, one of the things you have to do is be Oz Kenama. Oz Kenama. And then he follows it up with Oz Ponim Legehenim. You have to have a certain amount of Azis. Obviously you can't have too much. <laughs> But the, when you go after Torah, that's not the time to be Mr. Nice Guy. It's Muhammad's Torah. Uh, you've walked into a base medrash, if we haven't engaged in it ourselves, where you see two people learning and you think, my gosh, these people hate each other. They're screaming at each other, they're yelling, they're carrying on. You don't know what they're talking about. And then one says, want to get a coffee? Yeah, okay. You know, go out, get a coffee, get schmooze, and get back inside. The two of them, you think they're ready to kill each other. They're going to kill them, you know? It's a Muhammad Torah. There's no time to be Mr. Nice Guy. This is not caring and sharing. What an interesting shot. You know, I think there's a Rashi here that might support what you're saying. You know, no, no. It's it's we fight to come to the MS. Yeah, it's a Muhammad Torah. Yisachar is born with Leia taking a certain approach, and that approach is that yes, uh, there's going to be a certain Azus involved. So we're told about Yisachar. 
that Yisocha Chamor Goyim. He's a Chamor. He's Chamrius. But his whole Chamrius has Torah sitting on top of him and the physicality itself becomes transformed into something. Even though he is the Chamor, the Chamor itself becomes something. <coughs> Torah takes the physicality itself and transforms it. And he comes about because Leah stands up and says, I'm going to do what doesn't come naturally to me. And I understand afterwards when she names him. She says, the fact that I went and gave my sons to Doyim to get my husband, that doesn't mean anything. That didn't do it. What did I say? What I said was, I know I'm not having any more children. And these Doyim are supposed to help you have children. I'm giving that up. I'm giving that up because if a Kurdish Baruch wants me to have this child, I'll have this child. And when she has a child, she has... It wasn't in the schus. It was in the schus that I was mevazing myself to give my shivcha to my husband. I put myself down. I did whatever I could trying to be able to accomplish it. And the, the Chamor, who is Yisachar, manages to push himself with strength and he sleeps in between the roads. Rav Sarutskin, who very often in the Aznan Torah, if you ever read him, he is he very often strikes a contemporary sound to him. And I was going to jot this down in my notes, but I can't say it as beautifully as he does. On the Pasik and uh Pasik Yudalid. Robert's Baina Mishbasayim Bain Hatchumin. Ramaz Bizer al Halome Historia Shal Am Yisrael. This is telling us about the history of those who learned Torah. She Yisocha Mesamlo. The the symbol is Yisocha. Shelo yelo nachla sodev lo kerem yishelo. He doesn't have a field or a vineyard. Vehu rovets bein chume sodos acherim. He crouches down between the fields of other people. Avehu moes betanuge olamaze. He doesn't care about the pleasures of this world. Not because he's too lazy to go after it. Not because he doesn't have motivation. He's a strong donkey. Not because he doesn't know any better. Yeah? He doesn't enjoy pleasures. He sees the, the land and it's desirable and it's and it's it's no it's 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 delightful. The love of Torah that's burning in his heart. He turns his shoulder excuse me, to to the burden. As all the burden of Torah. Um, he takes away pleasures of this world. Because of the bread and salt that he eats, whatever he takes from Zulun, he gives him half of his Torah. This is the approach, the approach of Torah. <clears throat> when a person wants to get Torah, the person knows, I ha- first of all, I got to want it. I have to want it. You know, if I don't want it enough, if I don't care about it, you're never going to get it. You have to other. you have to desire it. We stay up all night on Shavuos, not because we do the best learning, but because we do the best desiring. If I didn't want it, boy, I'd be sleeping. I want it so much. I want to make it. I want to accomplish it. I want to learn shot. You know? When a person wants to know it, eats away at you. Remember when I was preparing my first Chabura? I was already in Kolo. You know, I managed to get away with not doing Chabura for many years because I can talk my way out of most situations. And it was my first Chabura. And I came up with a lot of great questions. I had no answer. And... Uh, you know, my uh, my Rosh Kolo says to me, you know, um, very baxed, he says to me, uh, he said, what time did you go to sleep last night? I said, well, I don't know, one o'clock. He said, well, how do you expect to prepare a chabur or go to sleep at one o'clock in the morning? 
you have to you have to be tossing and turning all night thinking about your chabur. You go to sleep thinking about your chabur. You wake up in the morning thinking about your chabur. It's got to bother you. It's got to be you know you something that that, that that you want to know. I said, okay, okay. <laughs> I'll come up with something, you know. But is it you feel driven? You want it, and then if you want it, are you prepared to to work, to work like a like a donkey and carry the burden, even if it means that I'm not going to have you know all, all the all the great things. The story of Shadron that he evidently would go and dive for Seekin and come back, he'd make kiddush and have a piece of fish. And his grandson tells the story. And then they had like a six-hour seder or something like that, and then they had lunch. So in the middle of this, he got up to get a cup of tea. So he says, oh, this is how we're going to learn Torah. Get a cup of tea, sit down, we'll get a piece of cake, we sit down, da, 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 you know? Which sounded pretty good to me, actually, when I heard the story, you know? <laughs> how do you learn without a piece of cake? So the grandson sits down, and they keep learning. When they finish the seder, he says, he says, what was so bad? He says, that's not how you learn Torah. You don't learn Torah by running off. You know, I'll get a cup of tea, I'll get a piece of cake, you know? You're putting your whole self into it. So he says, well, the Zayda speaks, he always has a cup of tea. He says, that's for my throat. It's not because I say, oh, I'll get myself a cup of tea, you know? So, uh, you know, it, it's, I, can't, I can't do both. I have, to, I have to put myself into it. A lot of excitement. You know? I told a story with Baruch Bear, and he was in America. He wanted to get a safe, and he was very short. And there were these swarm above the mantelpiece. So he got a chair, and he climbed up on the fireplace and took out the safer and he started learning and he stayed there for hours people would come in and I'd say oh how you doing good you know, is, is that Rebbe Baruch Bear <laughs> yeah I was going to put up antlers but I said you know hey you know why not just put Rebbe Baruch Bear there you know what I mean like you know he, he couldn't hear anything he was just you know you know have time you have time for all these other kind of things you know you, there's, this, there's this love this excitement and then, and then if I master the Torah, then the Torah takes everything in this world and changes it into something that's kadosh, or something that's exciting. My friend, uh, Zev Rudman, told me a story of Poshinsky, who was Nifter recently. He says that when he was, he was in Dvinsk, so he saw this stone cutter has this loaded up the stones on this donkey and the donkey's not going and he's feeding the donkey and uh, the donkey won't move. So this peasant comes by and he says to him, what's the problem? And he says, uh, the, 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 the donkey won't go. He says, oh, okay. And he takes a blanket and throws it over the donkey's head and he says, come on. And he starts going. Says, What'd you do? He says, I don't know if you figured this out, but you know, donkeys aren't like the smartest guys in the world, you know? And uh, they always keep their head down. So, you know, if I put a bunch of stones on you and I say climb a mountain, you're not going to go. You understand? Because you're smart. You understand? But he doesn't know. He's just looking and he's walking. He doesn't realize there's a mountain. But your donkey looked up and he saw the mountain. I said, I'm not going. <laughs> so you cover him up. He doesn't see the mountain. He starts walking again. Pashinsky uh, said, that's shot in a Tamlachacham is a donkey. You understand? You want to know Kulai? You don't look at the mountain. You put one step in front of you. You just have to know the next thing. I just have to get the next piece. You know? Oh, you ever going to know everything? You know this? You ever going to finish Shazza? Listen, right now, I want shot in this Rashi. I get shot in this Rashi, I'll move on. And that's what it is. People look at the whole thing and it's so big and it's so overwhelming. Like a donkey. You put one step in front of the other and we go and we carry that burden and we do that journey. And at the end, we reach the real menucha, which is olam haba. We reach, we reach something that's really so much better than everything else. And all of the physicality is then transformed into something that's that's unbelievable, it's unbelievable. You know, to think to think that you you trade things away for for something so small by comparison, when you realize what what the power of Torah really is. In Mitzvah Hashem, we come out of Hanukkah, which shows us the light. Light is all tzura. It's all tzura. Torah is compared to water and to light, because you have to take the chamrius and turn it into tzura. And we take all of that tzura, and we take the light that we get from Hanukkah, and it just now, in the darkest time of the year, it'll start getting brighter and brighter and brighter until we reach Nisan. And then we'll mamish reach the time of the Geula. 
That's where we have to go through now. The light of Torah in the darkness takes the darkness and turns it into light. And that, in Mitzvah Hashem, will bring us to where we're supposed to be going. Mitzvah Hashem. Next year is in two weeks. Are you, oh, are you putting out a list tonight? Because um, I...